Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with David Kebler, CMIO at the Metro Health System. In part one, Dr. Kebler talks about the overarching goal of getting technology to work for the healthcare system and how his team hopes to achieve it through things like medication adherence alerts and text reminders, the importance of having a solid informatics foundation, and what he believes is the biggest misconception about healthcare IT initiatives. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and it all starts with a tiny endpoint software sensor that works with Windows, Linux, Mac, and mobile, deploying fast with no reboots and no blue screens. We protect nearly 200 healthcare organizations with more joining us every day. Find out more about the power of the crowd at crowdstrike.com healthcare. So just to start, can you give a, a very high-level overview of Metro Health just in terms of where you are and uh, number of hospitals, things like that? Sure. So the, the Metro Health System, we're an integrated healthcare delivery network in Northeast Ohio. One of the things we say is, you know, we sort of pride ourselves on our ability to take care of people regardless of their ability to pay. Part of that means we sort of consider ourselves a safety net or public or essential hospital, depending on what sort of branding you're looking at, which again, is a very practical matter. It means that somewhere on the order of about three quarters of our patients are either Medicare, Medicaid, or self-pay, and only about 25% of our patients are uh, commercially insured. Then in terms of our geographic footprint and our sort of patient footprint, so we're one large academic medical center affiliated with the Case Western Reserve University, in Cleveland. And then we have um, two smaller hospitals. We have a couple dozen outpatient clinics sort of all over Northeast Ohio, uh, four different emergency departments. We do what I would call sort of like special health care. So we do school health is a big component for us, jail health or correctional health. Um, we also do foster care health. Then in terms of some of our big numbers, so we have about 325,000 unique patients that we would take care of on a yearly basis, probably on the order of about one and a quarter million visits throughout our ambulatory network. We have about 125,000 ED visits per year, about 25,000 inpatient visits per year or hospitalizations. Okay. And you've been with the organization for a while, especially on the uh, practicing side? Yeah, I mean, so my quick story, I, mean, I actually started as a medical student, uh, basically like 1999. But yeah, then I, I did my residency uh, here in internal medicine, pediatrics. Then I went away to do um, a fellowship in, in clinical informatics. And then I've been back as Metro Health's chief medical informatics officer since uh, 2008. Okay. All right. So you are, you're very familiar with the organization. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what would you say are, are really the most um, pressing objectives for you as CMIO? So to me, it's to get technology to work for the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that, that's like the 1 million foot perspective. So, you know, what, what does that mean yeah. in a little bit more granular detail? So first of all, you know, who are all the constituents of the healthcare system? right? So it's patients for sure. In fact, I always loved CEO of the Epic Corporation giving a talk seven or eight years ago saying, you know, 
what's your biggest constituency as a healthcare system? And so most people are thinking, well, is it the doctors or the nurses? Do we have more doctors or more nurses? It's like, you're all raw. The patients are the biggest <laughs> user of your electronic health record, right? If you're doing this right. Yeah. We have you know, about 70% of those 325,000 patients are all on the personal health record. Obviously, we only have about 8,700 employees. And so whether you're talking about nurses, doctors, students, you know, whatever, there's only hundreds to thousands of those users, but there's hundreds of thousands of patients. So it's thinking about how do we get it to work using technology to help all of the different quote unquote users. And then it's also thinking about all of the different domains, right? So are we trying to increase revenue, improve quality, help with efficiency, patient experience, right? So there's all sorts of different, not only users, but then categories where technology should have a play. And then to me, you know, I'm sort of at the behest of, you know, what are the system priorities? Because to me, the way I think about it is the electronic health record is sort of like the nervous system of the healthcare Mm -hmm. system. So literally everything that our board or CEO wants the healthcare system to do better, I would sort of take the premise that there is probably a role for technology and therefore probably a role for the CMIO and my team in in doing that. You know, obviously there are some initiatives that that might not be the case, but, you know, just in general, all sorts of things we're trying to do would really have a technology underpinning for them. Okay. Yeah, that certainly makes a lot of sense what you're saying. But yeah, if you could get into some of the more specifics of of how you're looking to carry that out. Um, Right. So, I mean, to me, then that has to do with what's the vision of the healthcare system? And then, you know, sort of piggybacking on top of that. So like probably like many other healthcare systems, but maybe we're a little bit more than some. And we are running towards value-based care. We just don't feel like many payers are moving quickly enough. Um, So like, just as an example, we heard that we're like one of the first Epic sites to become a direct contracting entity with CMS. So basically, you know, we're, we're pretty much like a hundred percent at risk with CMS. And, and we've been doing this for a while. We were in the Medicare shared savings program. So we know that we just provide extremely high value. So high quality, low cost care relatively speaking, but we wanted to get as much of the financial incentives of doing that as possible. But that is all based on a technology framework. The way I sort of describe it is we would not be doing as well as we are in value-based care without the informatics foundation or the health IT foundation. But you want to think carefully about that analogy too, because you don't want to live in a house if there's only a foundation. On the other hand, you probably don't want to live in another part of the house if it doesn't have a good foundation, if you, if you follow that. Right, right. I mean, I could talk for a whole hour on just all the things from a health IT perspective that, that we're doing, you know, to support value-based care, you know, as one example. Right. You know, other areas where we're, you know, are sort of what are called technology enabled or, or empowered. We're doing a ton of stuff on um, identifying and then trying to address social determinants of health. It's mm-hmm. another sort of hot topic in, in healthcare. We think particularly because, you know, as I told you, we're 75% Medicare, Medicaid, or self-pay. We think social determinants of health probably affect our patient populations a little bit more than patient populations that don't have as high or that have higher commercial insured uh, percent of the population. Obviously, you know, I would be super remiss if I didn't say something about the pandemic. And, and to me, the pandemic has all been about, you know, trying to virtualize care more. So obviously, there's a huge technology part in uh, trying to virtualize care more. 
And then I'd say there are things on the back end about just in normal day-to-day activities, how can the informatics team make processes run smoother, run easier? So I'll, I'll just give you one example. As health information exchange becomes more and more of a thing, it sounds great on the surface of it, but you've really got to grease the wheels with some intelligent things. So again, what's some example of that? So for a while, we've been getting fill information about patients through other healthcare systems, through pharmacies, through payers, into our electronic health record. And the reason why this is important, it's estimated that only something like 60 to 70% of prescriptions are filled by a patient. You know, obviously, if they're not filled, then they're not taken. And so if the doctor had some insight into what was happening, they could really do things differently. I'll, I'll give you an example from a patient I saw Monday when I have clinics. The patient was coming in, the blood pressure was really high. The patient was already on a blood pressure medicine. So the nurse is coming to me saying, hey, they were just here for a blood pressure check. I think we need to add a second medication. So we just turned on this medication adherence flag in, in our Epic Electronic Health Record that made it really easy to see what the compliance of the patient's medication picking up was. And so I hovered over that and say, hey, actually, I'm seeing the patient's adherence with this prescription is only 23%, okay. right? So I think instead of adding a whole nother medication, right, yeah. we should really try to talk to the patient about like, it doesn't really seem like you're taking the medicine we already prescribed. So, you know, did you didn't know we prescribed it? Did you run out and didn't know where to get it? Were you having a side effect, right? It changes the whole tenor of the conversation when we really think, no, no, it's not that the medicine isn't working. It's literally, you're not taking the medication. That's just an example of how can we leverage all of this external information that we're starting to get through health information exchange, but really bring it to the point of care to make a meaningful impact on the care that we're delivering. You know, another big one that we spent a lot of time on is, as you can imagine, You know, we really want to know if someone's both had a COVID test and if it's positive and if they've had a COVID vaccine, knowing that a lot of our patients, they might not necessarily get that testing or that vaccine within our healthcare system, right? They might go to the CVS, the Walgreens, the Rite Aid, whatever. Well, we spent a lot of time regularly querying all these other systems and then what we call auto-reconciling. So many systems, what they do is they'll say, oh, we'll periodically query another system. And then we'll sort of put that outside information, I sort of say like behind a glass door. And then if someone looks at the information and wants to bring it into your system, great, you can bring it in. Well, the problem is with COVID, we don't want to rely on sort of episodic things. Somebody may or may not be doing something, right? Because for instance, if someone had a COVID positive test somewhere else, we want to know about that, that like that instant yeah. they hit the door, right? We don't want to wait for someone to maybe do or don't do something. And then they just infected, you know, we're exposed to a bunch of our staff or a bunch of our patients before we knew they had the positive test. Right. Okay. Having this type of information when it's needed at the point of care, it's a concept that we've heard talked about for so long and to see it really coming to fruition um, must be just, you know, incredibly uh, satisfying for you as, as a physician. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. I think that the challenge, to me, healthcare is really complicated, right? I mean, I think to most people, healthcare is really complicated, you know, whether you're a reporter on it, yeah. a patient, you know, and so, so everybody's looking for, wow, if we could just do this one thing, that would be help so, so, so much. 
And I would say, you know, the first several years of CMIO, I really felt that if I could just find those one or two things, I was going to transform healthcare in the metro health system. I think what I've learned, you know, one of the lessons I've learned over the last decade is there is no one thing or even two things or three things. If you yeah. do a whole bunch of things, each one of them is going to help a little bit. There are varying degrees of that. But if you do a whole bunch of things well and a whole bunch of things intelligently, then you're really going to move the needle in a way that literally was impossible to do without health IT. But it's not just one or two things. It's a whole ecosystem of things. Right. You know, we try to study a lot of the things that we do. And, you know, most of the things that we do sort of have like um, single digit or sort of low double digit percentage impacts. Nothing gets you to like orders of magnitude improvement in things. And that's okay. But I think that a lot of times people, they, they don't appreciate that because in the abstract, they think that the impact of, of a health IT intervention is going to be much, much greater than it actually ends up being. Right. Okay. One of the things I'm really interested in is this, this concept of exploiting health IT to improve health and, uh, you know, really making sure that you have the numbers and backing to support it. And just wanted to talk about kind of how that has kind of weaved into your strategy. Yes. I mean, there, we say that, but we live that. I mean, just as one example, in our Davies case study, you know, we were the first, as far as we know, the first public or safe net healthcare system to ever win a Davies award with Epic. That's one of those HIMSS awards. We did actually like about 17 or 18 different case studies that actually show data on every single area where we're literally able to improve health. But just to give you some of the bigger buckets. So, I mean, we've done a lot. I'm a primary care provider myself, an internist and pediatrician. So one of the things that's very important to me is just getting routine care done. So preventative screening things done, where we know that, you know, many, many times just normal care that's totally evidence-based, there's no controversy about it, just doesn't get done 100% of the time. It's probably more like 50% of the time. So for instance, one of the things we've done is every health maintenance reminder. So these would be things like, hey, get your COVID vaccine, get your colorectal cancer screening, get your mammogram, um, you know, all these types of things. They're not only shown to doctors at the point of care, but they're also shown through patients in the personal health record. And then we also send out some combination of automated text messages or automated phone calls or automated MyChart reminders to encourage people to get these things that are extremely evidence-based, well-vetted recommendations to get. And we've saw that yeah. these things, they definitely improve getting these things done. So, I mean, just as an example, one of the things we've talked about is number needed to message. So, I mean, are you familiar mm -hmm. with the concept of like number needed to treat? A little bit, but you could just kind of a, give a, like so, a basic uh, So this is one of the examples I, I think makes sense to a lot of people. So like, you know, if you have high cholesterol, I would put you on a, a cholesterol-lowering medication. But the real question is, mm -hmm. why am I putting you on the cholesterol-lowering medication? Well, yes, it's to lower your cholesterol. But the reason I'm concerned about your cholesterol is because I know if you have higher cholesterol, you're more likely to get a heart attack. You're more likely to get a stroke. But then right. the question is, how many people who have high cholesterol do I need to put on a cholesterol-lowering medication to save one heart attack or one stroke, right? Those, right. That's the number okay. needed to treat. And so the key is right, for right. most of these things, like the number needed to treat is probably like over 100. 
sometimes actually many hundred, right? So mm -hmm. the idea is you got to put like, I think it's something like 150 people on a cholesterol lowering medicine to just save like one heart attack or one stroke, like over the next decade. Okay. Now in the number needed to message category, what we've seen is you usually have to message somewhere between like three and six people to get one person to do something. Okay. So again, it also depends on your perspective. This is what I was getting to earlier. So if you have 50% of people getting their mammogram when they're supposed to, and then you message the other 50% who didn't get the mammogram. And then again, if you say like, you know, just to make the math a little bit easier, if you say one in five of those acts differently based on the message, it only means that 10% you know, of that 50% is actually gonna get the mammograms. So your actual mammography screening rate will increase from 50% to 60%. So still 40% mm -hmm. of those people didn't get the mammogram, but yet actually this was still a very easy, simple intervention to do. And it caused you to get 10% more of your population to get their mammogram done. Okay. We just published about a year ago, what I called my two livers saved case, where what we did is I don't know if you're familiar with this, but hepatitis C screening is sort of recommended for everybody now. And so mm -hmm. we did sort of normal care where we had the alert to the doctor and to the patient and everything versus sort of what we called advanced care, where what we did is we um, actually pre-ordered the screening test for patients and said, hey, this is what hepatitis C screening is. You don't even need to talk to your doctor. We've already ordered it. All you have to do is go to one of our conveniently located labs and get your hepatitis C test done. Um, and so again, it okay. doubled the rate of hepatitis C screening. And the reason I call it the yeah. two liver saved case is because we identified two people as positive for hepatitis C that otherwise wouldn't have known about it. And now we have them in treatment. Wow. Okay. I mean, just another yeah, error that, we just got a grant on that that's probably pretty topical. A big thing right now is um, COVID-19 vaccine side effects. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, one of the problems right now is if you have been vaccinated, you know, you have the opportunity to download an app and you can mm -hmm. report your side effects to the CDC if you think you have any side effects. The problem with all that, it relies on a patient or a doctor to do lots of extra work to identify and report a side effect. So we know yeah. that in those models, side effects are very underreported. So we've gotten several yeah. grants over the years where we've developed this, what we call electronic support or vaccine adverse event reporting, where we actually have this brain that is continuously mining the electronic health record to say things like, oh, David Kelber got his COVID-19 vaccine you know, three days ago. And hey, wait, now he's in our emergency department with vomiting and diarrhea. A whole nother doctor right. seeing him, that other doctor doesn't even know that they got the COVID-19 vaccine. But let's send an alert or a message to identify these people that that might be a vaccine adverse event. And then if that team agrees, all they have to do is click submit and automatically submits that vaccine adverse event to the CDC. And when we've looked at this in other vaccines, it increases the vaccine event reporting by 30 fold to the CDC. Oh, that's pretty amazing. And in these examples, it's just showing that the easier it is to go through these steps, the higher, the better participation you're going to get. And the concept that may seem basic, but there's so much required to get to that level. Really interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, as I said, we've got tons of examples. We've in some of our infection control examples that we've written up where, I mean, literally 
we feel like we've saved lives because we're able to basically standardize care more so that the chance that somebody gets like a hospital-acquired infection is less in a data-driven way where, you know, we look at what our rates before and after an intervention were and see, see that they're improving. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.